that in the ecclesia, in the, 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 the community where Jesus is present, there is no law, none, none. It is a community only that exists in, in the same grace with each other, that they all unitedly believe that God exists in relation to them. The Law, today on In the Shadow of the Cross. of In the Shadow of the Cross. I am Lauren Rosser, and I'm here once again with my friends Jim Durkin. Hello. And Michael Harden. Hello. I'm, I'm glad I can still say you guys are my friends. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're how many episodes in? 12 episodes in? And uh, we're, we're still getting along, so <laughs> this is a good thing. Well, um, we do okay, Lauren, on the podcast. It's your Facebook posts that... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I, 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 I hope I didn't come across too snarky on that one. <laughs> no, no, that was fine. <laughs> I always post pictures of puppies and flowers on Michael. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that sounds just like you, Michael. <laughs> I, when I need my puppy fix, I go onto Michael's page. <laughs> So here, here's a we have another light and fluffy topic for everyone today. So why is it Christians will will talk about grace, but then they still hold to the law? We we've seen this being a a dominant thing uh, throughout, especially uh, Protestant evangelical Christianity. It's it's almost like there's a bait bait and switch that happens. It's like there's this message of grace that draws you in, and then all of a sudden the law is brought in. So why do you guys think that is, Jim? Well, I suppose the uh, simple answer is uh, the flatline reading of the uh, of the Bible. It all. Uh, is God breathed? It all come from the mouth of God, dictated directly to the writers, and therefore um, we're responsible for all of it. And uh, it's uh, when we do that, we get ourselves in a lot of trouble. Uh, let's put it that way. What do you think, Michael? Well, you use the term bait and switch really correctly. I mean, we, when we think about it. Our theology is oriented toward grace, but our anthropology is oriented toward law, okay? So I, I go back and I say to myself, okay, where, where were these distinctions being made? How, how did the Christian church come to be as it is? And I go back, let's just go back to Luther. Um, Luther very clearly distinguished the category of gospel from law. And it was almost a dialectic in Luther's uh, theology. Um, for Luther, um, the gospel wasn't grounded in a theory of the scriptures as much as it was the message contained in uh, the Pauline literature, and then, of course, kind of read over everything. But Luther rightly understood that grace excludes law. Now, Calvin came along and said, look, 
you know, Luther was right that the law brings us to, to despair and that the law leads us to Christ, okay? We realize that we can't fulfill the law no matter how hard we try, and so we need the grace of God, and thus we accept God's grace for our salvation. Um, and then Calvin took it a step further, and he said, but there's a third use of the law. And that, that, that use of the law is the um, use of the law for Christian discipleship. And so Calvin brought the law back within the orbit of his very profound doctrine of grace. But you can go back further than that, I think. Um, notwithstanding, you know, I mean, we could talk about Anselm and the influence of his thinking. We could talk about Augustine even and the influence of his thinking. But when I go back to the early church, I find it fascinating that the early church reversed the discipleship salvation model of the evangelical. The evangelical says, come be saved, accept this message, and then you can be a follower of Jesus. In the early church, it was, we have this beautiful message, but in order to participate in it with the community, you have to go through this period of discipleship. And that discipleship was not Torah. That discipleship was not Oh, the world does these things. They dance, they drink, they smoke, so we won't do those. Therefore, we're anti-worldly, and thus we're following God. The early church didn't work with that. What they did was they said, we're going to teach you how to live a lifestyle of love and mercy and forgiveness with your family, with your friends, with people around you, and we're going to show you how to do this. We practice this together in this thing we call the church, and after one year or three years of doing this and working through it with a mentor, then they would be ready for baptism and entry into the community that, in theory, was practicing this. So I find it fascinating, very, very fascinating, at how quickly Christians want to go from grace to law because they cannot imagine, they literally cannot imagine what a lawless life looks like. All they can think of is anarchy. Right. Yeah. You know? And so they have they have they lack an understanding of how grace can transform our anthropology. And how it does that when we imitate Jesus, when we are following Jesus, he by the Spirit is transforming us from one degree of glory to another. Um, that, to me, that's where I would go with all that. Well, the thing I find interesting in, in what you were saying is that I know a lot of Christians, uh, because I know other people who've shared along the lines of what you just shared, who would who would say the um, that what you're saying is, is law. To, to to disciple first to follow Jesus to they actually would come out and say you're you're preaching law because you're 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 upholding some kind of ethics that we're supposed to embrace and and yet they will say grace 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 and then turn to the old covenant and do this you know embrace law so it's it's like it's such a miss thing um, I mean just this week uh, somebody referred to me st pointing to the teachings of Jesus as embracing the woke agenda and so part of me just goes wow are we so 
are we so out of sync and out of tune with even what Jesus taught that it's like, what even is Christianity anymore? If, if it's not following the teachings of Jesus, then it's like, what is it? Right, right. We've discussed on several uh, previous podcasts um, that it starts with understanding or, or knowing what love really is. Okay, if we think it's some kind of uh, social justice or uh, embracing this group over here or this philosophy or it's uh, uh, nothing more more than humanism, um, then we're going to miss it on every level. But if we really understand what love is, uh, there's a scripture that says love is the fulfillment of the law. Um, and, and, and it takes what Michael's talking about. I, I, I can, I can grab a hold of that because it takes a year or two or three <laughs> to really comprehend the application of love, the doctrine of if you will, of love, the teaching of love, the 1 Corinthians 13, here's what love is, understanding. I can get that in a setting or two, but in the application in real life situations um, with immediate family, uh, with uh, neighbors, with co-workers, with uh, whatever and whoever and whatever situation or period of life I'm in, um, I have to see that modeled repeatedly. I have to, if you will, I have to blow it and then go back to a person that I, 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 I look to as helping to mentor me in, in discipleship. It's like, I blew it here. I, you know, how, how does that love thing work again? How do I do? What do I do here in this case? And it's going to take uh, good grief. Um, even if a person turned to Christ in their 20s, that means they had 20 years of indoctrination that does not fit the model of God's love, either for them or them through Christ loving uh, the world. And, and so it's easy or easier to just say, I remember years ago I was teaching on grace, and the next week I used an example. I said, if you think you're walking in grace... But after I get done teaching, you come up and ask me, so just tell me how to do it. You're not walking in grace. You want laws. <laughs> that's a, a great illustration there, Jim, because you're right. It's like that's that's the thing. You give me the how-to manual. Give me the rule book. You know, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's one of the things that was disturbing to me in my own life is – I've learned in, in different seasons of my life that I can get around people and kind of learn the lingo and learn, okay, what, what's the new lingo now? What's the new doctrine I embrace? Okay. And so now I'm going to mimic that. And, uh, and now I'm on like a good, a good path. And it's not like you said, learning the path of love, 
you know, learning, learning to really love my neighbor and, and love other people and lay down my life. But it's, it's learning how to blend in and, and find what, it, what are the rules. And, and that's not hypocrisy, by the way. That's actually the westernized understanding of knowing something. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I can repeat it, when I can teach it, when I can answer an essay question on it, then I know it. Right. No, that's that's great, Jim, because here's the thing. I could parrot the whole thing about loving your enemies and everything, but but if you guys had seen me during this whole move when, when I had issues with my bank and stuff, it's like, dude, I was uh, – I'm telling you, there was some vengeance buttons that were pushed in me. But it, it was kind of hard because it's like you're trying to take on the whole institution of this bank instead of one person, but there was still vengeance there, you know? <laughs> So I so I I get it and uh but it, it's interesting because you're right Jim we we've been we've been so indoctrinated into that if if I can say it back then I've got it. You're right. It's like it's the how would you put it? Like you said the um the because uh, I don't want to say academic because that sounds like I'm down in academia and that's not it at all. But no. but it's it's the, that's the way we're as a school teacher that's what I did is re- regurgitate it back to me students. Okay, you got it. When that's not how this works. It's like okay, Michael, like you said with the discipleship. Okay, so now you know the teaching it, mentally. Now do it, live it. You know, practice it. Yeah, so um, the evangelical uh, model is predicated upon having a personal relationship with the Lord. The fact is, the evangelical doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. They have a relationship with that which they think or know is Jesus. And so they have a relationship only with the the Jesus that, that... is in their head. Real authentic Christian discipleship is where each of us is choosing every day to walk with Jesus and listen to his voice and follow the path that he leads each of us on every day. And those paths can be very different and are very different because we're very different. I think the evangelicals correct to say a personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ is is paramount. However, they don't have that. They have a pseudo-Christology that replaces Jesus with the Bible, and the Bible's the Word of God, and therefore if it says this is right in the Bible, then it's right in God's eyes, and if it says this is wrong, this is wrong in God's eyes, and they have no ability whatsoever to understand that in the Ecclesia, in the, 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 the community where Jesus is present, there is no law. None. None. It is a community only that exists in, in the same grace with each other that they all unitedly believe that God exists in relation to them. That's really good. In fact, I'm, I'm sitting here chewing on it because I'm going... Don't regurgitate it. I'm not, I'm not going to regurgitate it um, because I need to live it. <laughs> but but it's true. It's um, it's interesting because I, I'm sitting here going, you know, I don't know what community looks like on a on a large scale, at least without law. Yes, because I've been so trained in in everything I've known has have some kind of law. One of the observations Laurie made uh, that I thought was very, very profound 
um, after our experience with Church in the Park, you know, the Jesus movement, um, and then our experience with churches that kind of, ex you could say, experience a revival, okay, she said, it's inevitable that the movement is, is going to have to deal with issues. And whenever they deal with issues, they turn to law. Oh, boy. Oh, we have this issue. Okay, so people can't do this anymore. Rather than working through the process so that people understood that certain behaviors weren't um, congruent with grace living. The law is much easier. I think that's um, an outstanding point, and I think it's one that uh, we should camp on for just a few minutes. Yeah. Um, so you have a, a community of believers, and uh, one individual, or perhaps even a, a faction, are starting to do some things. Uh, case in point, uh, some wealthier members of the community in Corinth are bringing great big feasts to the, to the love feast, and they're allowing... Uh, poorer people to sit there with no lunch at all while they're gorging themselves. Now, we can make a law that applies to the whole community, or we can address the faction or the individual and simply point out that is not in keeping with Grace, or nor is it in keeping with love. It does not fit the model. And um, in our society uh, as Americans, uh, and I hear, understand there's a couple of Canadians that uh, tune into this. So, <laughs> in our society. In our society, we are so inundated with lawmakers that we bring that into the church. Oh, I see. That's how you deal with situations. You pass another law. Yeah, yeah, and it's and, and the law is expedient. Um, I, I I can even remember as, as a classroom teacher, the whole thing is I would have a student who has an issue and it's so much easier to just say to the whole class, all right, class, we're not doing this anymore, rather than going up to the individual student and saying, look, I don't – because I don't want to steal the freedom from all the other students because of one student and just talking to that one student and correcting the issue. So like you said, Jim, that was a great point that it's like that – that we just want to make a law rather than talking to the people, the person, and and just individually and in, in helping them find the find how to handle that in love. Well, and the evangelicals made a fatal move in the 1990s. In the 1990s, the um, evangelical movement uh, embraced uh, a theory of Christian Sharia law. Uh, promulgated by a guy named John Rusas Rushduni. And it became very popular in Calvinistic, Calvinistic circles, and then it became uh, boulderized in the charismatic tradition known as the Seven Mountains. 
the conquering of the seven mountains, the arts, the university, government, money, blah, 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 blah. okay. And um, so what happened in the 1990s was that wealthy fundamentalist evangelical type Christians funded uh, what's known as the K Street Lobby, and they brought in Congress people and senators and, you know, football players that bent the knee after a touchdown to give thanks to Jesus, you know. And they, 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 they created a whole lobbying movement of Christian legislators that would seek to go out and make sure that more Christian legislators could be brought in until even up and through the Trump regime. Um, and and what, what we have now is we have this whole plethora of this fundamentalist evangelical model sitting in the Congress and the Senate, okay? And now the Supreme Court, very important. And they're looking to take, they're conquering, they perceive this as the conquering of these mountains through the bringing of um, Jewish Hebrew scripture law, Torah law, into the life of the American people. They're legislating our morality this way and our sociality this way. And right now is the most dangerous time ever in American politics that there has ever been because American the American political process could easily, if there's just, if there, if, say over the next couple of years, there's anarchy and violence in the streets and the world falls apart. We know it's going to fall apart anyway. But it falls apart enough that there's a need for law and order, okay? The law and order party will always be elected over the party of freedom and justice in the name of rioting, right? It's happened in 1933 with the ascension of the, of the Nazi party. It will happen here in America. We will, we will elect because we will desperately want someone to tell us what to do. And the evangelicals will have their one last big attempt to, to bring law into a country that is in theory founded upon the Judeo-Christian principle of, hello, grace. That's a really good observation. And it, it's, it goes back to what Jim was saying, how we do, we just have such a bent towards law. Um, and, and I think he's right when he was saying that, that you look at even our government, how we, we get so enamored with lawmakers and, and uh, we keep trying to, you know, we're going to change the world. Like you said, through the seven mountains thing and everything, we're going to change the world through implementing, implementing the right laws. You know, that's going to, that's going to fix everything. Yeah. We're going to bring God's kingdom to the earth. We're going to make a holy priesthood. So it's like keep keep studying the scriptures so we can tweak these laws and get them just right so that everything will just be hunky dory. And and the reason why we have guns and violence in schools and things like that is because we got rid of the law that stopped right. these things from happening. I th- I think also my observation when Israel was in captivity in um nations that were godless or whatever god didn't give them a plan to take over the mountain of government but he did raise up people like daniel and joseph and uh you know different different ones at different times that were servants they were cupbearers 
but they were also prophets that honored the king, even a wicked king, honored him in such a way that the king listened to what they had to say, and in so doing, they did not pass laws, but they did influence the nation. I think if we ever learned that our fight is not against flesh and blood, our fight is not to to get the right people into the right positions so that we can control. I, I, I think of one of those um, uh, seven mountains, the mountain of media. So what are we going to do? We're going to control who can make movies and what movies can be produced and uh, nothing more than a G or maybe occasionally a PG. Uh, but other than that, it's like, what kind of a sanitized world would we be living in and we would move the needle further away from Christ than it's ever been by doing that? It, you know, it's funny, Jim, that you brought up media because I, I was just thinking about you today. Um, because, I did it for your sake. <laughs> because I was I was thinking about years ago. I don't know if you even remember this. Back when you were pastoring the church where I was attending, there was this big youth event. You know, youth were um, being – not event. They were they were being greatly impacted by the love of God. And, the, and there was uh, something really wonderful happening in the congregation. And I remember going up to you and asking you to pray for me because I said, I felt like – I feel like I'm just on the outside of all this. I feel like I just don't have any – purpose. And you said to me, you said, you know what? I can't, I was just working part-time down at the little TV station in little Eureka, California as a part-time board operator. And you said to me, you know what? I can't go down to the station and push buttons and stuff like you can. And, and I remember thinking, that's so lame, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it's not spiritual. It's not. And then today, as I walked into my own office at, at my new position at Fox TV, I, I, I just went, Jim was right. <laughs> Jim was right. There was God has a purpose for me in in this universe. Uh, in the in, by I mean the media universe of just sure. impacting the people around me. And I thought, how funny that I thought that prayer when you told me that. I thought that's so dumb. That's so you know it's not spiritual. It's not meaningful. And and it, I, I was genuinely moved when I was like, oh my gosh, all those years ago when Jim prayed for me, he he knew what he was talking about. <laughs> How about that? Wisdom of the elders and all that. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. I got what I I got something right, I guess, huh? (laughs) Exactly. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut now and then. No. Oh, I'm just, I'm just kidding, because oh, no, he's, <laughs> no, because that uh, that is actually not true. Because he's he's gotten so many things right that it's, uh, I would embarrass him if I went on about the impact he's had on people. This is completely yeah. off topic. I confess. Ready? It's a quote. I saw Go it today. It. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It's uh, from David uh, Schwartz. He's a CTO of Ripple in San Francisco. He says, "Quote." Everything is a matter of perspective. For the lobsters in the galley, the sinking of the Titanic was a miracle. (laughs) I love it. I absolutely love it. That is so true. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I it, like that. My one of my <laughs> one of my favorite bands that you guys may know of, uh, Daniel Amos, from uh, started during the Jesus People movement. Sure. Um, they're they're still around. Well, they haven't done an album in the last, I guess, ten years, but they they've. I still like their stuff. Anyway, they have a song that's similar to that where they said, um, one, what is it? One man's tragedy is another man's gain. Talking about how one person, you know, basically one person flops or quits, a, gets fired, and another person's able to get that job. And, you know, so it's kind of the similar kind of uh, – so it, it kind of kills that whole thing of, you know, God's in control like the puppet master pulling every string because it's like, yeah, I got this great job. But what about the guy who lost the great job, you know, so that you could get the great job? You know, something like oh, that. You could so, get it. Yeah. 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 That's so. a good point. Michael, do you have your Bible right there? Yes, I do. You know that. I'm looking at it. Uh, okay. First uh, Timothy 4 1. Okay. Get, getting there. Okay. Very familiar passage. Yes. Does this fit into um, our discussion? Well,. Um, okay, so here's how I want, I need to answer, yes and no, the answer is yes it does and no it doesn't. So, what I want to do is, is I want to avoid the uh, cognitive bias, Dunning-Kruger effect, I'm in the right camp, and look, you can see we're in the last days because everybody else is wrong. So yeah. I want to avoid that kind of logic, okay? Right. For, for whoever the writer of First Timothy is, and it's not Paul... Uh, this writer is making a claim that the Spirit explicitly states. Okay, that's a bold claim. The Spirit explicitly states. doesn't say where the Spirit states this at all, but just states that in latter times, some will desert the faith and occupy themselves with deceiving spirits and demonic teaching. Well, there are certain Jesus sayings in the apocalyptic tradition in the synoptics, where Jesus does say many will fall away and their hearts will turn cold, okay? Perhaps the writer is thinking of something like this. And it is also, however, true that when times get hard, people turn to the easiest God that's available. You know, so for example, I, I guess when you ask, does this apply? Yes, um, but I would argue that the deceiving spirit and demonic teachings permeate the evangelical church. They are the ones that are deceived. They are the ones that are under the influence of the satanic. In fact, I would contend the evangelical worships Satan, not the Father. Because they worship a Janus-faced God. Mm -hmm. So at least mm -hmm. half their God is wicked. And when, I, when I read this lately, recently, I had an impression that perhaps what he was warning Timothy about, because Timothy at this time, I believe, was in Ephesus, was the doctrines of, of demons or devils or whatever, and deceiving spirits was the Judaizers who were coming in and trying to pervert Paul's teaching uh, that we read about in the book of Ephesians about the liberty that there is in Christ. Uh, is that possibly um, the scenario here? 
It, well, if 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 you want to make a case that Paul wrote Timothy, then you could probably do that. I don't think you can make that case. Well, I didn't no. say that Paul Paul said this. I said whoever wrote it. Oh, whoever that, wrote it. Yeah, that to, he to whoever, still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's different. There are certain things in the uh, pastoral letters that indicate a certain kind of incipient Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. So immediately okay. after this verse is they will prohibit marriage. Yes. Well, who yes. prohibited marriage in the early church? The Marcionites. The Mar- yes. Oh, interesting. I, yeah, which is why I think the pastorals were written at the same time as Acts and Second Peter, and they're all dealing with the problem of Marcion and Paul. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. you know um, it ha- they, they, they make a distinction between foods. And so the right. Marcians, uh, as I recall, if I'm recalling correctly, did not use bread and wine. They used bread and water. They mm. were very aesthetic. Okay, but but the point is, is that that the 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 deceiving spirits. You'll notice they're oriented toward a holiness codes, making yes. a pure community. And this has always been a big, 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 big deal in Christianity. Who is the pure Christianity? Where's the pure form of Christianity? You know, so modern people want to go back to the early church. It's not pure. The New Testament church is not pure. In fact, it's not even pure from day one. Because they're so confused about the kingdom. Could it be that the falling away, or the departing rather, from the faith is not falling away from Christ necessarily, but is falling away from the faith that we've been set free, that we're in grace, that we're in liberty, to embrace Marcionism or or the law, or that he's talking about that as a possibility. Is that a possibility? It, it could be. I would want to do a study of the term pistis in the pastoral okay. epistles. Yes. To understand okay. what the author means by the faith. Are there, does this author understand the faith um, uh, in terms of certain propositions that are believed to be true? And the answer to that is, yes, he does. Mm -hmm. So immediately in the chapter before, we actually have the recitation of an early Christian hymn, which follows the enthronement pattern of Philippians 2 and, and John 1 and Ephesians 1 and those other hymns. He was revealed in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed amongst Gentiles, believed on the world, and taken up into glory. That's a hymn. It's a song. And in, in, in fact, our songs, the songs we sing, reflect our faith more than anything else theologically. In fact, the oh, hymn absolutely. book or the song book is the most important theology book in a church. Wow. Interestingly enough, some of the hymns that are the most accurate are Christmas carols. Yeah, Christmas carols are great. Uh, the Wesley hymns, the Wesley hymns. Well, Charles certainly. Wesley. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, his theology, uh, yeah. you know, was so beautiful, and John's was. Uh, you know, Charles Wesley's hymns, you know. Um, I'm not a fan of the Fanny Crosby, me and Jesus walking alone kind of stuff. I'm not a fan of that. But I do love the emphasis in the Wesleyan hymn tradition mm-hmm. very much. Mm-hmm. Modern writers, I really loved uh, John Michael Talbot. Oh, me too. Well, yeah. 
You yeah. know, the yeah. early John Michael, before he decided he was going to be God's prophet to the world. I only was aware of the early stuff. I wasn't aware that there was newer stuff where there was a shift. Yeah, well, same thing happened with Keith Green. Keith's first two albums were gorgeous, and then you'd go see him in concert, and he would spend half the concert preaching. And it was like, I didn't come here to listen to Keith preach. I came to hear him sing, you know? Right. You know, but you see that. You see that. It's interesting, though, because, Jim, I like what you were driving at, how um, that we we think of the great falling away as um, or, or throwing off the faith. Um, people immediately turn that in their head into, well, it means go do whatever you want to do, you know, kind of kind of thing. And you're and you're turning that the other way and saying, no, it's. It's going towards rules, laws, and regulations, and and like you said, Michael, holiness codes is is actually the mark of 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 losing fa- losing faith, losing who the Father is. Yes. Well, I'm thinking, for instance, of the of the writing to uh, the church at uh, Galatia, uh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, having begun in the faith. Are you now made perfect through the keeping of the law? Amen. And and, and so I, I I just when I look at things like this I I just kind of look at it sideways a little bit and say, well, is it possible that he wasn't talking about backsliding, going back into the world? He was talking about pulling away from the very faith that uh, uh, the writer of Galatians was talking about. Uh, you know, you began here in this yeah and now you want to embrace uh circumcision or or any point of the law if you if you attempt to gain your righteousness by the law you have to keep all of it yeah i i love galatians because i love the passion that the writer has in that and and i love how it's like you can when i read it anyway i almost feel like i can hear paul's uh, fighting for their freedom. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, absolutely. Some of his sentences in Galatians um, are very choppy, and you can see, you can imagine the scribe just trying to keep up. You know, and Paul gets very nasty in that letter. I mean, nasty, nasty. I mean, when he says. Uh, you dumb shit Galatians, which is what he says. Mm-hmm. Or he says, he says, you know, I wish those guys wouldn't just cut their foreskins off. I wish they'd cut their dicks off. That's what he says. We we right. pretty it up in Greek uh, or in English. Sure. But sure. he and he is livid in Galatian. Oh, very much so. Yeah. I would not want it to, when Paul was done, I would have said, excuse me, potty break, and just, (laughs) right, and and I love that uh, Steve, in his seminar on Galatians, he talked about how now you put yourself in the congregation in Galatia, he goes, you have to understand, these these, um, people were, um, like, basically descended from, uh, or connected to the Celts, you know, Um, and... And he goes, he goes, so you're talking this rough and tumble kind of people, and they're yeah. caught in this fight 
between these Judaizers and Paul. And he goes, imagine Paul's letter being read aloud in the congregation, and you've got the Judaizers right there in the congregation. And oh. and you're there, and you're kind of like, what's going on here? Because <laughs> you're just one of the Celtic types who aren't even like, you know, aware of all the depth of what's happening. And what if the Judaizers, Peter? Yeah. You know, I mean, now, now, like in Corinth, we know Peter came and stepped on Paul's toes at his church in Corinth, and he probably did it in Galatia. You know, now, now, now you have, you have, you have Peter going, "Hey, I was with Jesus, knew Jesus, he was my bud, I was his main man, I'm his Rocky." So you can't listen to this Paul guy now. And all of a sudden, it's not just about grace and law; it's about Paul's calling. Yeah, right. And that's why. Bends his calling right up front, chapter one and two. Yeah, and and then you even read that it's men sent from James. The, so oh, yeah. so so it kind of blows up that whole squeaky clean, well, we're all right. happy, clappy group. Well, that has to do with Antioch. Okay, when he's reciting the Antioch incident, but he's reciting the Antioch incident because it's analogous to what they've done in his churches there in Galatia, and that they did in Corinth. And that they were going to do, he hadn't been to Rome, but they, he heard they were going to Rome, and he wanted to forestall any possible nonsense by writing that letter ahead of time, saying, you know, this is what they're going to say, this is who I am. Okay, gotcha. Wow. So, time, yeah. timeline, was the council at Jerusalem, was that before or after this? Well... So, so, so the conservative scholars are going to say that the Antioch incident in Galatians two is the same as the uh, Jerusalem Council of Acts fifteen. I don't think so. Um, first, the Jerusalem Council of Acts fifteen, in my view, is a fiction. Paul wasn't there, even though Luke says he was there, because later on in the letter, when Paul comes to Jerusalem, James says, "Hey, we had a meeting and we wrote a letter, and let me tell you what it says." Whereas in, mm. in if, if Paul was really there in Acts 15, he would have known what it said. Okay, so I don't see them as the same same thing. Um, the Jerusalem Church, what they're going to do is they're going to go, guys, we got to get, we got to have some minimum framework for the Gentiles. So give them the Noah Noahide covenant, the covenant of Noah. Mm -hmm. You know, no blood, no sacrifice, no fornication. You know, keep. There's your minimum. There's your minimum. Uh, and Paul knows that letter's gone out because in Corinth, when they're dealing of the uh, dealing with the issue of meat, Paul does not say, hey, we wrote this letter, or this letter says. He contradicts that letter. Yes. Oh, interesting. So I would say the Council of Jerusalem probably took place uh, somewhere in the mid, after 45, but certainly before Antioch, which I date in 48. And then I date the ten letters of Paul, the authentic ten letters, not the pastorals, um, between the spring summer of uh, 50 through the spring summer of 52. And the Thessalonian letters I date with Doug Campbell in 41. And so you can separate the Thessalonian letters out, and you can see the big difference between Paul's message there and here. And so what happens? Paul goes out his first mission, he's preaching this Jewish-Christian Second Temple eschatological message, right? But then he has this whole experience, he thinks differently, he changes his thinking, and he goes back out to those same churches, and now he's preaching a different message. Mm -hmm. And they're going to go, what's going on here? Mm 
Mm-hmm. But then he goes to new churches with this new message, and everything's fine. So where do Peter and James and the Jerusalem people go? They go back into the first churches Paul planted when he still had that thinking, see? So do we know when or, like, um, where that tr- change in Paul's thinking took place? No, there's no evidence. Um, uh, Martin Hingle calls them Paul's silent years between 42 and 48. Uh, Doug Campbell... Um, uh, doesn't uh, wrestle too. He, he, I mean, he acknowledges it, but he doesn't wrestle too much with it. Um, I think I'm the guy that's probably made the most hay out of it than anybody. Yeah, because I, I thought I remembered you one time saying something about um, it looked like it was when he came to Ephesus that it it well, changed. Well, I would make I would make a case that Paul's coming to Ephesus and meeting the Johannine community uh, first of all buttressed his understanding of the Peter James Jerusalem church tradition, because the Johannine community was anti-Petrine. That's number one. Number So Paul realized, you know, there's another group of people who have authority and are apostles that aren't part of the 12. That's number one. And they knew Jesus. They walked, lived with him, walked with him, talked with him. The uh, second thing I think that Paul gains from them is this I don't, I don't, okay, so I don't know whether he gains it from them or whether he has had inklings of insight before he reaches them. But if you go look at 2 Corinthians chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, you will see an awful lot of Johannine language there. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And that's why, remember when I did that seminar on Paul and, and that, so I brought all that out. You know? Yeah. Yeah, because it, it was interesting that you said, and, and I want to bring this in because this is going to tie into what you're talking about, about the the change and stuff. And see, I had always thought that it was Jesus and the 12, Jesus and the 12, Jesus and the 12. And then you were you were teaching on, on Luke, and you were talking about, I got a lot of time to listen to you on, on my drive up here <laughs> to Milwaukee. Oh, and, uh, um, and you were talking about um, that, um, that there was an, another group, and I believe you said it was in the South where Jesus would would go and he would leave the disciples behind because this was like his safe place. And that's where Mary, Martha, and uh, Lazarus Lazarus was. And and so do you think that had connection to that Johannine community? Oh, absolutely. I I think that's what you have there. In other words, one of the arguments I would make is Eleazar, that's Lazarus, um, will end up moving with, I don't know whether his sisters go, but he will end up moving to Ephesus. Uh, which happened to be kind of like the Miami of the ancient world, and the richer priests, the priests, the Sadducees, uh, would retire there. So there was already a tradition of that. But I think he moves there and changes his name, partly because his life is in danger. Remember, the writer to the fourth gospel says they didn't want to just kill Jesus, they wanted to kill Lazarus. Right. Which is really bizarre. The guy's been raised from the dead. You're going to try and kill him? Is this like, are you guys okay? (laughs) Um, but um, but but in order to believe that Lazarus was the uh, evangelist behind the fourth gospel, maybe not the writer, but certainly the inspiration, maybe the writer, whatever, uh, it could have been because he's educated, you know, he knows the priestly traditions, he knows Jewish traditions better than, I mean, he reflects knowledge of so much in Judaism with little hints and words and phrases he's He's able to evoke all kinds of stuff. So it could be Lazarus, could be. But you have to believe that God can raise the dead in order for that to happen. And that's why in historical critical method, Lazarus could never be considered 
uh, the writer of the fourth gospel. The writer of the fourth gospel is a mystery because, you know, we know God doesn't raise the dead. Wow. Interesting. I love it. I, I love that kind of stuff. I think that's that's so fascinating. That's really cool. So yeah. so it's interesting because, you know, we're talking about this thing with law is is here you have a, a community of believers that that are clearly going the other direction from law or have not gone down that rabbit hole. And, uh, and, and, and we see a, a drastic difference in them. So what's the opposite of law? According to the writer of the fourth gospel, grace and truth, tested yep. and demeth. Yeah. Who's the law come through? Moses. Moses. Who's grace and truth come through? Jesus. Do, doesn't the law talk about grace and truth? Yes. Yes, it does. But it's completely compromised. Even though it's breaking out, it's breaking out. Remember, Judaism is the religion, the one singular religion, that literally, I think because of the work of the Father with, with with these people, literally breaks free from the religions of the ancient world and for the first time will produce literature that is beginning to contradict the mythological thinking of the ancient world, okay? But it is not an end in and of itself. It's a breaking out. It's a breaking through. It's a breaking free. It's a, it's in process. The end result of all that is Jesus, who comes and, in a sense, breaks free from Judaism. And I don't mean mm-hmm. this in any anti-Semitic fashion. Right. Because he and remains a Jew. Okay, and his Judaism is important. But what he breaks free from is the religious institution, the mm-hmm. religio-political, economic institution of Judaism, not the Jewish faith. Jesus is, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I follow you because it's kind of the same thing of how you can still be a follower of, we can still be a follower of Christ and yet break out of the institution of, of Christianity. Right. And That's so it's the right. same kind of thing that he's he's not playing that, religious game in the sense but he's still we clearly see he's still embracing all the things that had to do with his father that were woven into it we are currently just this week witnessing the very beginnings of a so-called revival down in kentucky okay now i don't know is this a real revival is it not i don't know um what i'm going to be watching for is what comes out of this revival if this repentance in this revival is purely oriented along evangelical morality, then I will know it's a false revival. If, however, this revival turns into a, we want Jesus, not not the church's Christology, then I'll know it's an authentic revival. If the revival produces the kind of people that have a thirst for love and forgiveness and mercy and compassion and generosity and hospitality, all notes of the spirit. If it turns into a revival where there are more laws put down, and we've just got to, you know, quit our sinful ways, I'll, I'll know it's not of the spirit. You, you, 
put so well what I tried to communicate in a Facebook post yesterday. Um, just uh, but because Facebook sometimes so limited on on inflection and everything, that that's where I was coming from because that's why I said my attitude's the same as yours. I said we'll we'll see, and that's my stance on it. And I basically said the same thing: is I'm looking for the fruits of. And when, when I say repentance, I mean heart, mind change, change in thinking, change in in direction of uh, of what we've seen because we've because. On the surface, I'm not casting a, a widespread net on what's happening in Kentucky. I'm not. That's not my point here. But on the surface, just from the reports, it, it looks like what I've we've been there before. You know, yeah. I've, I've seen yeah. tons yeah. of them before. But that's yeah. not to yeah. say that's where this is headed. But that's why my thing is we'll we'll see. Uh, would you go? Would Jim and I go back to our Jesus movement days? Um. I think it's safe to say I wanted Jesus. I wasn't interested in Christianity. I wasn't even interested in the church. I love being in Christian community. I love fellowshipping and all that, but I wanted Jesus. And that was a very big deal back then. And people people gave up an awful lot of stuff in their life to go follow Jesus, you know, so you you have two things uh, here. Simultaneous with the Jesus People uh, movement of, of, of the 60s was the charismatic renewal. Mm-hmm. Okay. What happened very quickly in the charismatic renewal is it became about teaching conferences. And so you would uh, you would go where one of the big names were speaking, yep. and uh, the group that eventually became the Fort Lauderdale Five. But uh, you would go and you would sit and you would listen for three, four hours straight yeah. as they taught this charismatic renewal how to walk it out right within the confines of their new Pentecostal-slash-charismatic evangelical understanding. In the Jesus People movement, for some period of time, it wasn't long, it wasn't more than a year, year and a half, maybe two, before teachers began to say, oh, we've got to step in and we've got to help guide that thing, and we've got to teach these kids that the only thing they know is that Jesus loves me, this I know, Mm -hmm. and we've got to help them to understand that there is so much more than just Jesus loves me. Mm -hmm. And we begin to steer uh, very quickly the whole thing off track. So today, I was sitting with a a group of uh, men and we were discussing uh, what's going on in in uh, Kentucky, or and and we were talking about this very thing. We're at a a very interesting uh, challenge, if you will, mm-hmm. because what you started out with, Michael, and what I was uh, trying in my my uh, comments to Lauren on his Facebook post is that this is happening with 
a group of young people that are in a already a Christian environment. Right. And now there is some kind of spiritual activity that is creating uh, a hunger. Right. They're repenting. And, and it's interesting, it's interesting the language that chooses the repentance that's happening is, you know, they're, they're really where they don't love Jesus enough. They need to love him more. There's an awareness there of all that. But there is, there is an awareness of that, and that's a good thing. Yeah. But there is also already a training that they've, that they've received yeah, exactly. that can have a pull on them. So here's, here's the interesting challenge. How do older saints who really have a handle on grace without the mixture of law step in and begin to help to guide these young people that, look, the fruit of this thing has to be love. It cannot be just go to meetings and get a good feel and and even worship God from the depth of your heart and love right. him more. And right. but But now there has to be an outworking. And there does have to be some teaching. Yeah, I don't... It's we it's, have to be careful how we teach it. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, to be honest with you, Jim, you know, we're, we're in the very beginning stages. I, I don't think this is this Kentucky thing is anything. I think it's going to peter out. It's going to zoop, um, you know. Um, but there will be, and there is, and continues to be a movement by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to faithfully to the Lord Jesus. I think at some point there there has to be an, a, a nice mixture of the scholarly, the layperson's heart, the Midwest farmer, the Wall Street broker. There has to be a, a, a mix where all of us are discovering Jesus the Lord, not the Jesus well that the church gives us, but Jesus of Nazareth, crucified and risen and seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, not the Jesus that's the, the Rambo Jesus of the right or the Che Guevara Jesus of the left, but Jesus, the, the living Lord. And I think that time's still to come. It's still ahead of us. I think, you know, we might be five years out. We might be a decade out. But I think it's coming. I, I would love to see it. I would love to be part of it, just like you would, right? Because you know, because we would have something to say. You know, but I'm not. But I'm not uh, so. Um, I want to be careful on my words here. I'm not so down on things like this happening at the university, or now I hear there's something going on in Austin, Texas now. Uh, now that Lauren left Texas, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> there, man. Take them up to Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers. God, God can move now. <laughs> but I think I think until quote the real. Yeah. I'm not prepared to say this isn't real. I'm just prepared to say this isn't that yet. Yeah. But I think there are times of refreshing, if you yeah, will, yeah. Um, where it's kind of like, 
You know, it's kind of like um, the Lord is just saying, there's more, there's more, there's yeah. more. And, and, and that hunger begins to build until it, it, it's, it can't be satisfied with anything else than a real touch from God. Yeah, and so I, I would, I would not I'm not to, against these things by any means. Yeah. yeah, and I'm not denigrating the real experiences of people, students there especially, right. who are encountering the living Lord Jesus. Maybe even they've been Christians all their life, but they're encountering him for the first time. Yeah. And, and we all know how important those kinds of events are in our life. I mean, we look back on them as key, key moments and milestones. Right. So I, I can imagine Jesus doing some great work. You know, I just, I just don't want to hold this up as, as this, the beginning of some new movement because it isn't. It's a flat. It's, 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 it's a preview of uh, coming a trip. Good, good work. That's a good way, yeah. and and I agree with with what you guys were both saying because I think I think these things a lot of times they become almost kind of like a, a memorial or monument in a person's life. That as they go further down the road of life, they they it, it's like how I talk about Jim being in in the congregation in, in Eureka. How I say it ruined me the best way possible. That that mm-hmm. that experience. Um, my hope is we'll have the same thing on them. That it will ruin them in the best way possible. That they will be like I can't go back to the old stuffy you know uh, dead religious Jesus, the idol. I've I've there's something like you said. There's something more. There's something different. And I think that's yeah. and. I think you guys are right that 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 there's a that that there there is something the father is doing and we're yet to see the fullness of it. Um, I I can say just even doing these podcasts, I have had a hunger growing in me to share the gospel unlike any time in my life I've ever had. Um, It's just been growing immensely in me as we keep talking about who the Father really is and what the gospel is. It's like it's it's impacting me. (laughs) And and I'm going, it's funny because once again, I haven't felt this way since my early 20s where I'm like, this is too good. How can we sit on this? How can we not get this out there? Which is a large reason why we do these podcasts. Because uh, right. you see the beauty of the Father and who he is. And uh, and you remove the fear and the, and the two-faced God and all that. And, and you're just like, this is just so good. <laughs> that everybody needs to hear this. Right. Yeah, that's true. Well, guys, we are at time. Um, this, this has been a wonderful discussion once again. And, uh, even though I, I'm not in Texas where I'm, where all the wonderful movement of God is, I'm up in Milwaukee now where, where Fonzie used to live. Um, so (laughs) where the wonderful move of God is. And when you think about the wonderful move, I'm thinking bowel movement, (laughs) bowel movement, Jerry Jones, cowboy. I'm I'm glad we were out at time five uh, five minutes ago. <laughs> yes, I, exactly. It's funny. I walked into the news studio here, and they had a whole bunch of Packers shirts up and, and on display oh. jerseys. And I was like, I am not in Texas yeah. anymore. <laughs> no, you are not. <laughs> All right, good. guys. Well, this has All been right. good. Remember, remember, you're a Bears fan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a bears fan okay (laughs) well we'll talk to y'all next week oh real quick um jim is your book back in uh on on amazon yet no they're going through chapter by chapter and editing it i told them i didn't pay for that 
I'm not going to pay for that. And they said, well, we want to just make sure that it's everything that you want. So, nope, they're taking their time. Okay. Well, we'll let everybody know when it's when it's available. And, and Michael, where can people find yeah. your stuff? Oh, nowhere, man. I, I don't exist. <laughs> no, I can go to Amazon. They could go Michael Harden on Amazon. They could go to YouTube and put in my name or Preaching Peace. And it's all out there. Somewhere. All right. All right, guys. So get a hold of their stuff. Really good material, you guys. Um, I, I read it myself. <laughs> I'll talk. To, we'll talk to you all next week.